0: There is no light Welcome to Valley Christian Church. We hope you enjoy this message, and we would love for you to join us on Sunday mornings at 1030. We're located at 432 East Pleasant in Tulare. After listening to this message, take a moment to browse our website for current and upcoming events. It is our prayer that ultimately you learn to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We've been covering our series of different perspectives of the Christmas story in the, uh, the first week we covered the perspective of the innkeeper and how the innkeeper just, you know, just kind of missed it because he had a chance to have the Lord of the universe born in his house, and he said, we have no room. So they got kind of, in a sense, shoved off uh, to find a place to be born. And then we looked at the perspective of the shepherds and how they were the lowest of society. They were kind of the outcast kind of the, oh, you, you work as a shepherd type of attitude. And yet, they got the blessing and not the politicians and not the, the big wigs and not everybody that I would probably go to uh, if I was God. to tell them, hey, my son is being born, but he went to the shepherds, the people that are like us. And then last week, we looked at the pers- uh, perspective of the, of the wise men or the magi and, and just, you know, them understanding the stars and, and the alignment of the stars and all that and then traveling to come see Jesus two years after he was born Uh, and God's perfect timing to give those gifts that they needed to escape to Egypt. And this morning, we're going to focus on the perspective of the baby, Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means God with us. And more important to that point, Jesus with us. The story is perhaps, uh, you know, the most talked about story in history. And, you know, the only other story that I think would rival this would be the Easter story. And they, they really go hand in hand. And, and there's two different artwork uh, pieces that are, that are of the same story. And this first one here, uh, these two different story, uh, artworks, we're going to c- kind of compare here for a second. They're about 150 years apart, yet they tell the same story. But they're very different and it really tells us what happened on a global scale in this time in history. It represents a major shift in the thinking of, you know, in our society, the way people thought about God, the way people interacted with the church, and the way people interacted with God. And this first one is, is from 1390. And, and it's kind of very flat, un, uh, undimensional, you know. It's just kind of, it's not the scale, the faces are all kind of flat. The, I, I mean, I look at it and I go, man, those angels are about to fall off the roof there on the back sides, you know. But right around this time, they had a transition in, in, in society, which transitioned the style of painting. And this next painting that, that I've had up several times here, and you've seen it uh, over the years, because uh, I just love this, it's from the Renaissance period. 150 years difference between the two, and yet there's so much more detail in this painting. The way they, you know, the expressions on the faces, the way they look at each other. You have Mary looking down at the, uh, you know, at, the, at Jesus, the baby. The shepherds looking down at the radiant splendor of Jesus. And the other shepherds, look, you know, are looking up as to say, can you believe we're here for this? I can't believe it. God chose us to be here. And all the light that's radiating from Jesus... Man, it's a great picture. It's amazing difference between these two pictures. What is interesting is they both owe their style to one small event. Because in, in 1445 in Germany, you have things that happen in history sometimes. And, and, and you know, huge forces that change societies. Things are moving and changes, and, and everything's going on. You know, think of stuff like World War II. Think of stuff like the atom bomb. I mean, that really changed the world. Think of, you know, recently for us, the, the Twin Towers. One event that really shapes the whole world. But this morning, I want to talk about a small event that can also change history. Really small events that cause an explosion that changes everything Forever. This change that I'm talking about, you would think, oh, you know, I'm talking about Jesus. No, I'm talking about the printing press. You're thinking, what? The printing press was a small change. It wasn't a big explosion. It wasn't on TVs, you know, in a sense of the world didn't know about it all at once. But all of a sudden, the printing press was there and available. It happened in, the, in between these two uh, paintings. It radically changed why these two paintings are different. In the middle, uh, you know, in the Middle Ages, the, the church and the states were really strong. Their feudal system, you know, w- w- was the type of governing that was going on, and, and all the land was locked up by a few. And if you didn't own land, man, you were up a creek, or you were down in the creek working for the people that owned the land, you know. And this is why we use the word Lord to describe God, because you know it's it's an old King James version, which you know around 1066 is when they. Uh, no, no, I'm sorry. My date's wrong. When is the King James? Uh Uh-oh, somebody looked that up. My mind went blank on me. When the King James Bible came out, they were using the word Lord for those landowners. So they took that to mean somebody in charge. So that's why we say Lord. That's why we say God. English Lord meant controller. And in the feudal society, the Lord was in charge. And your allegiance was for the king that was of that country. You worked the land in slavery under that lord and for a thousand years europe was like this for a thousand years this is how things operated in society you own the land good life didn't own the land very difficult hard-working life they didn't have cars they didn't have all these things they worked the land but what happened In the early 1400s, the bubonic plague swept across Europe and killed half the population. And the consequence of this major event was the fact that people started moving around. Before this, they couldn't go somewhere else because one lord would talk to the other lord. Well, Lord Randy, uh, uh, so-and-so worked my land, and now he's over on your land. You need to send him back over. And they controlled the way people moved. But now I know Randy's over here going, I can't believe he called me lord. You understand the context, I'm saying. But, you know, they controlled this, and you couldn't get work. But all of a sudden, people started dying. Rich, poor, it didn't really matter. The bubonic plague didn't look at, oh, they have money, I'm going to leave them alone. No, people just right and left. So people started moving around trying to get rid of this. Let me get away from this plague. In this town, the plague started, we're out of here. And they started going. And in 1390, only one church held the power. And everyone looked at the church as we look at politicians today. How do we view politicians? Anyone? Anyone? You all know what I'm talking about, right? We just had an election. They spent a lot of money. It didn't change a thing, did it? Man, I'm telling you, the way we view politicians, unfortunately, that's how the church was viewed in in many aspects. The church at this time was viewed that way. The common people were, in a sense, left out. And they really wanted to break that force, but they couldn't. And then you have this plague happen. And then in 1445, the Gutenberg invented the printing press. Or Gutenberg invented the printing press. It was the first time that anyone could get books. You didn't have to be the ultra-rich. You didn't have to be the church. You didn't have to be the king. You could, you could actually get these writings. And not, you know, not everyone could learn Because a lot of the books like Plato and Aristotle and and all these others were locked up beyond the common people. It was dangerous for the common person. You had to be rich to even think about learning. But all of a sudden, knowledge started to explode a freedom like never before in Europe. Commodities started trading. Started using cells to, you know, on the ships instead of rowing across the, the Mediterranean. And they just started kind of going everywhere. And during this time, the church started selling indulgences. They told you that you would go to purgatory, a place between heaven and hell, which I don't see in the Bible. It's not a biblical concept. But nonetheless, they told you this. If you pay us money, then you don't have to, you don't have to go to this place. You won't spend any time there because apparently Jesus didn't die enough for your sins. You had to pay them some more, right? You know, we, we could start that right there, make us little certificates, start handing them out. But this is what they did. And some of the most beautiful basilicas, some of the most beautiful chapels in Europe were built this way from this money. And during the time of Martin Luther, he rose up and said, this is wrong. So you had the printing press and Martin Luther. And he said, no, I'm breaking from the church. And things started changing from, uh, for, for everybody because people had access to learning. And through all this, a concept emerged. Because for a thousand years, life was like this. You were born, you lived your life, you worked hard, and you died. And then you went to go be with God if you were a Christian. If you weren't, you went to hell. That's what we believe that was what life was like for them. But the piece that was missing was the concept that God was with us. This, that's the part that was missing. God cares about people, and you matter to God. The idea started emerging that, that you could learn uh, the, and that all learning was from God. God gave us a brain so we could learn. Learn about arts and engineering and math. Dance. Dance. Everything. God gave us a brain to use. Self-worth all of a sudden became important during this time. And it reflected in the paintings. Like we see right here. People became important. This painting was done in the Renaissance. It means a a rebirth, a reawakening. Rebirth of understanding, of knowledge, of why they existed. And who they were. And a lot of it because of a little printing press. There's a few times in history where a small event will change society so much, and from a, you know and just with a few people in a small town, it could change everything so radically. The greatest event that would radically change society. It happened with little fanfare. It happened with little knowledge. Only a few people knew about it. It was right when a little baby was born on a night deemed the perfect night by God. On the backside of Jerusalem in a town called Bethlehem that was kind of the no-name outskirt town of Jerusalem. You can see it. You get up on one of the hilltops. You can see Bethlehem. And it was just kind of like, oh, man, that's Bethlehem over there. No one knew who it was, much less had a room for this child to be born. Instead, they were in a barn in the middle of millions of people moving around the, cover, you know, moving around the, the country to, because the government had decided we needed a census. A whole Roman Empire traveling, and this woman gives birth to this little boy among the masses that were paying their taxes. And that night, in a barn, a little event took place that would transform the world. It called, caused a, a rebirth in the way people thought, the way people acted, the way people responded to God, an understanding of God and, and who He was and how God acted, and where, do, you know, where does mankind fit into God's you know, overall picture and the relationship, the grand scheme of things. But everything changed at that point since that birth. From the event of little baby Jesus being born in the town of Bethlehem over 2,000 years ago. Humankind gets to the point in society where we think we know. We think we understand. We think we understand. We see God's plan. And we say, this is it. And then God comes through the back door in a way that we would have never you know, expected that we didn't even know the door existed. And the impossible happens. You know, everybody thought at that time that Caesar Augustus would change the world, but instead it was this little baby on the outskirts of the Roman Empire that no one ever, you know, that no one ever saw it. No one ever saw it coming. Is Jesus being born more than a story to you? Is it more than just words on a, on a page? Is it more than just words on the iPad or the computer? Is it something that, that affects your life? Is it something that changes you? When, you know, when Lisa and, and I found out that she was pregnant, it was an amazing time for us. We were in one of our favorite places in, uh, in God's creation, Hawaii. And then when we got back home, you know, it was kind of fun to to find out that point. But we got back home, we started getting everything ready. You know how, I mean, you know, Eric and Mary over here going through the same thing. All the little stuff. Okay, where's the baby going to sleep? What are we going to get for the baby? I mean, everything centers around that. You know, washing the extra clothes that people gave us, painting the room. And, you know, and after we decided on a name, which according to everybody took way too long, it became a little more real but when I saw my boy for the first time, it was so much more than a name on a stocking that we'd already prepared for, or on a piece of paper. And my question is for you, for your relationship with Jesus, is it more than just Christmas decorations? Is it more than just words on the paper? Is it more than just hearing the story? Is Jesus everything to you? I know life will crowd us. I know we'll get busy. And we have to remind ourselves who Jesus is and how he fits in our life. That's why it's so important for us to get into the word of God. That's why it's so important for us to have a prayer life. And you're thinking, okay, I'd love to have a prayer life. I just don't know where to start. You start with one sentence. And you start that every day. And you talk with God. And then you build it up. And no, you don't have to have two-hour devotions with God. I mean, that'd be great if you want to but you don't have to, but talk to him throughout the day. Is Christ everything to you? Because I would dare say that this little event in history has changed many of our lives, and we need to have that change continue in us. This little baby being born on that night affects us today. On the outskirts of Jerusalem, 2,000 years later, his decisions still affect us today. In Galatians, Paul is writing to the brothers and sisters in Galatia, reminding them of where, you know, where they came from and, and what they stood for. And he says to them in Galatians 4.4, 4, But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive the full rights of sons, because you are sons. God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. The Spirit calls out, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has also made you an heir. At this time in history, when God looked down and said, this time when all the forces came together, God said, this is the time, and he sent his son. From the time of Abraham, when God gave Moses the law, 14, 1,500 years had gone by, and history had moved on. The Roman Empire welled up and conquered the world. And God said, this was the perfect time. He said, right now. The Old Testament, you know, is a lot about God's holiness, and, and, and in the state of God's holiness, and we found out that, that God is really unapproachable. That, that's why they had this 15 foot wide curtain between the Holy of Holies and where the other priests could go, because God was unapproachable because of our sin. We couldn't get to God with the Old Testament law, and there was nothing we could do about it. He is too holy, it's beyond our grasp. That's what the Old Testament is really about. And then the Old Testament continues into the New Testament. And, you know, during the Old Testament, this, you know, time, man had really lost the knowledge of who God was. So God had to prove to them first that He was holy, that He was righteous, that He, you know, He was not one to trifle with, not one to challenge. You don't mess with God. And it took thousands of years for God to show that. And he tried to show it through, through the, the people that he chose, the Jews. And said, don't mess with them, world, because I'm, by, you know, I'm behind them. And he wanted the Jews to live their lives in a way that showed them God's blessing. But they lost that knowledge because they refused to follow God. And under that law, they were condemned to die because of the law. That if you had sin, you could not get to God. If you had sin, you had to die for that sin. Those were the rules that God set up. We can try, but by our human effort, we will never make it. Out of our own ability, you can never get to God. Our own ability, you can't. So he began to tell us who he was through his son. That was his way of reaching us. It was his way of building relationship. Born of a woman. Born under the law. Well, what was the purpose of all this? the reason he steps off his throne and becomes human was so that we might become an heir to his kingdom because we accept him of who he is with the full right to son and daughters. Now that is a cool concept when you start studying the whole uh, concept of, of, you know, handing down your heirs, and you get the full right, and it mean, meant so much more back in the feudal days, back in, you know, the, when the New Testament, I mean, when, the, when it was uh, King James Bible was written. It meant so much more. We get to call the mighty one we get to call the holy one we get to call the first and the last we get to call the king of the universe the prince of peace we get to call him father we get to scream out daddy now today when we were up here, up here a little earlier my wife was you know trying to get Brandon out of my hair as I completed my stuff and, and she took him over there to, to another part of the church and I came outside and, and he saw me and he goes Daddy! And starts running to me with open arms, and I bent down, and he just crushed right into me. That's what we get to do with God. We get to scream, Daddy. That is unbelievable. You know, there are times when I feel like we're not reverent enough in worshiping God. But I also think there's times when we forget that we can reach up, and we can grab God's hand, and say, Daddy. And he'll pick us up, and he'll just swing us around. Because he wants to spend time with us. How much love does a father have for his son or his child, his daughter? How much love does a perfect father in heaven have for us as his child? We're no longer slaves, we're heirs to the kingdom. All the power. All the mercy, all the wonder, all the truth, we're heirs to that. It's ours. This is incredible. This is the reason the little baby grew up under the law, and he lived a perfect life, and he died on the cross to purchase our sins. Because God cares for us so much. Where he says, You are now my son, you are now my daughter. In Romans 8, he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectations for the sons of God to be revealed, for the creation are subjected to the frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into glorious freedom. Of the children of God, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have been, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we eagerly are waiting eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are, we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray about or pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will or in God's will. The creation, along along with the Spirit, is waiting. It's waiting on the expectation of the glorious day when we get our inheritance, when we finally meet our Lord and Savior face to face. Isaiah says that the wolf will, will, will lay down with the lamb the little boys will will be able to to walk around with the bears and the bears won't eat them I can't wait for that I've been to Africa and and seen some great animals and it's always from a distance in a protected vehicle you know I've I've told this story before where a friend of mine went over there in Kenya and during the rainy season their vehicle got stuck and there was a pride of lion about 10 of them about 12 feet away from the vehicle and they're thinking well what are we going to do and the driver goes, get out, push. And they're like, what? He goes, lions already eat. Get out, push. And they got out, and I wouldn't believe it unless they had it on video. Someday I'm going to dig up that video and show it to you. It's, it's pretty funny. But man, I can't wait till we get up and close and personal with these animals. It'll be great. But the greatest part of it all is that we won't be harmed by this world anymore we will be with our Father. Because I tell you, the longer I live, the more I start to understand that people can hurt us. And we have two choices when that happens. Either let it control us or give it to God and be able to move on. Sometimes that takes a few days. Sometimes that takes a few weeks. Sometimes that takes a few years. But if we give it to God, we're able to move on. Because we will be with our Father when we meet Him. The creation will be changed and we'll receive our inheritance as sons and daughters. Do you have your adoption papers? Is it stamped on your ticket that you are free? Your ticket is your heart because God puts His stamp on us by giving us the Holy Spirit. I know one thing. Most of us, unfortunately, try to earn this. In our minds, we just can't let go of the idea that we have to earn our way to heaven. If I can just do enough, man, but our sin prevents us from being with God. And this is the big lie of Satan. At the end of the day, we feel like we can't please God, so therefore, I won't talk with him. I'm afraid because of what I've been doing. So I won't build a relationship with him. Instead of living like the ones who have received the most wonderful gift in this world. And we're just waiting to see him. In Galatians 3.1, Paul writes, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the spirits by observing the law or believing in what you heard? Are you so foolish? And we begin to understand that Jesus is the one who saves us. And then somewhere along the line, we start acting like, "Man, I got to earn this favor," when it's already been given to us. In verse verse three, he goes on and says, uh, uh, "He goes on and, and says, after being with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing? Is it re- you know, it, if it really was for nothing?" Does God give you His Spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you have heard? Does God love you because you've done good deed, you know, number 6,237, and you're working on 38, you've already got that planned? No, God doesn't love you for that reason. It has nothing to do with what you will do, has nothing to do with what you have done, or what you will ever do. Because we can never be good enough for God. In, you know, using human standards. That is why this little baby in a manger came. It's about Him being born. Growing up in this earth sinless. By God's grace and mercy and His own power, He grew up sinless. And then He died on the cross for our sins. And He was raised from the dead. See, raised from the dead is the key. He not only died on the cross, but He was raised from the dead. And one day He will welcome us into His kingdom. Is that amazing to you? It's amazing to me. That is what the hope is in our life. The hope that we hold on to. That is what the world is wanting, is hope. And do we take it to them? This small event in human history changed the world for all eternity. For those of us who are believers, we need to have a renaissance in our life. Our lives sometimes are are kind of flat and one-dimensional. You know, sometimes it's almost like we got a blank expression on our face. Because too often our lives are like, we were born, we lived, we worked, We accepted God, we get really happy, and then we go back to living and working. And then one day we die. That's how we view our lives. We need to have a three-dimensional relationship with God. We need to be out there showing why we believe in His birth. When was the last time you were excited that God was involved with you in this world? We need to have a reawakening of God's Spirit in our lives when it becomes dormant we've locked up the spirit for some reason. We need to let them loose. We need to let them loose. Let's pray. Lord, I just pray that we have a reawakening in our lives. That we have a renaissance that takes us to a point where we're we're just relying on you each and every day. That we see your blessing. We see the things that you want us to accomplish. That we look up and we say, Abba, Father, that we run with open arms to you. And like a good father, like the perfect father, you are right there waiting and willing to help us out, waiting to have some fun with us, waiting to teach us, waiting to do all those things, because this is just part of the journey as we get to heaven to be with you. And I pray we start to remember that life on earth is not it. That there's something beyond that, and it involves you dying for us. It involves it, you know, you've already made a place for us in heaven. It involves eternity, which we can't even really understand. But we know you love us enough that you died for us. But you also came down here on this earth as a baby boy, born to save us. In your name, amen.